0: Turn with me. The book of Luke. If you do not have a Bible, um, Brother Joe is going to walk around and he is going to hand you one. Uh, Raise your hand. Let him know. Because we are somebody... We got one up front here, Joe. Um, We we are somebody who believes that it's important, whether it's on your phone or... Whether it's on your phone or whether it's in your hands and paper, we are a church that believes you ought to have God's Word in front of you. In no time like today, because uh, in my study, where we are in our journey um, uh, to the cross is uh, we're actually on Wednesday of the Passion Week. Um, It's a little bit out of step with time, but I I believe that God had this word for us today, and so it is um, Luke 21, Luke 21, and it is uh, entitled The Widow's Offering. It's going to be the first four verses of Luke 21. You ever had a, a passage that, that you have known for a long time and have kind of viewed it in a certain way for a long time, and then God goes, uh, wait a minute, wait a minute, that's, that's not exactly right. You ever had that happen? If you haven't, you're a lot smarter than me. <laughs> yes, this passage did that to me this week. Total turnaround. It's like, what, what, what? Okay, all right, and so Luke 21, are you with me? Are you there? All right, let's hear it, let's hear it. Luke 21, the first four verses says, As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others, all these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, listen, put in all she had to live on. I was with somebody this week, and they had, it was funny, because they, they were talking about a time in their life in which um, they had nothing. They had nothing, just gone through divorce, just gone through a difficult time, and they came to church, with literally 35 bucks in their bank account. All they had to live on. All they had to live on. And, um, and they got to church. And they looked at the passage. Because they had determined. Hey, I have $35. I got to eat this week. I've got I've to go through this week. And they had determined not to bring an offering that day. And the pastor preached on this passage. <laughs> <laughs> the guy. They got up. Went out to the car, got their checkbook, wrote everything they had in the checking account, brought it in and put it in the offering plate. <laughs> Said, okay, okay. And uh, yes, that next week they received a $200 plus check in the mail to an overpayment to insurance. Thank God for a broken insurance program. We've had the same thing happen. So, thankful. As we come to this passage, I do, I do want you to think about something. I, uh, my wife and I have been affected by a book called The Barbarian Way. And Erwin McManus um, starts that book out with an account of his daughter, Mariah. And him and Mariah were out to eat one day, spending some daddy-daughter time. And all of a sudden, his daughter says to him, Daddy, one day I want to make a billion dollars and I wanna give it all away. I wanna help the poor, I wanna help the needy, I wanna make a billion dollars, and I don't care if I have nothing, but I wanna give it to all to help people. And uh, Erwin begins to account the fact that their conversation became combative because daddy felt like he had to bring practicality to his daughter's life and uh, and remind her that she needs to have financialness in her life too and uh, to kind of tamper her dream. And the conversation built into an apex in which daddy was perplexed and didn't know where to go because the daughter kept fighting against him and finally he looked at her and said, Mariah, are you okay? And through tears she said, Daddy, I want to change the world, but you can't appreciate my dream. I didn't say I would be homeless. I just said I didn't care if I became homeless. I want to change the world and you just can't hear my dream. Erwin realized that instead of nurturing and unleashing a wild heart, Chasing after God, he was domesticating and trying to civilize her raw and untamed faith. A domesticated and civilized religion is a false religion, as I've said, for its focus is on its own uh, validity and existence. You know it has turned false when maintaining the status quo becomes a main focus and any attack against it needs to be dealt with immediately. As I look at this passage today, you're going to be, I think you're going to be challenged by the focus on the main character isn't the main character that is in this passage. You see, the poor widow in our story today is not the main character because because she is a victim of a false religion. You see, this poor widow had bought into the false Jewish religion of works, called to give everything for God so that he will bless them. It is prosperity gospel religion that we know of even today and even churches have been accused of, yet you just want our money to maintain your position. I do want to talk to you about the truth about the wildness of being all in for Jesus. But she was duped like so many to believe that if she put in all that she had to live on, that God would bless her. You see, false religion has been around since Satan tempting Eve as a snake. Throughout Scripture, God warned believers about false religion, and he intensified his warning as he saw the falsity coming into the Jewish religion. Jeremiah 14, 14 says this, Then the Lord said to me, The prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I have not sent them or appointed them or spoken to them. They are prophesying to you false vision, divinations, idolatries, and the delusions of their own minds. Today, false religious teachers even within the church, are teaching from delusions of their own mind. You can identify them by their teachings uh, that change darkness to light. Sins taught by God's word are not sins any longer. The word changes with culture. We need to be more updated. The word of God is antiquated. The lie that wisdom always comes with age. And truth is mean, so we have to not say it. I have been hurt by the falsity that I have seen in religion today. Leaders that I have looked up to that are willing to compromise the word of God for lies. I have heard leaders that I have respected. One leader said this in a meeting about the church voting in same-sex marriage as an acceptable act by God. They have said, we need to vote this in so that we can get on with ministry. We've been spending too much time talking about this subject. Let's just vote for it so we can get on with ministry. What ministry are you going to do with lies? The other thing was this, that our denomination is reducing in numbers And so we need to vote this in so we don't continue to reduce numbers. Are you kidding me? False religion, it is all around us. I think that this is, people of God, this is a reason why uh, why Jesus came at the particular time. False religion had risen to a place that it absolutely was at an apex in history. Not only was false religion uh, through the Romans, like uh, Zeus and, um, and, and, and other gods that are in the, in, the, uh, Ro- in the Roman world, but even within the Jewish church, it was a good works religion that was now leading the Jewish church in Jesus' time. And if you know Jesus' life, Obviously, that became the combative moment. So Jesus came, as Ephesians says uh, in 1.10, it says, When times reached their fulfillment, the falsity was at such a level. The Son of God came in the midst of it to shine a light in the darkness of falsity. And so... Throughout his ministry, obviously that started it started in Nazareth when Jesus spoke the truth of Isaiah 61 and that in your hearing this passage has now been fulfilled, and false religion lifted up his head and came against him and on and on it goes. I want to propose to you today what has changed my mind is the same thing that in, in the midst of where this widow is, giving everything that she has. It's in the midst of false religion. I know this why. If you look with me at, at chapter 20, uh, verse, um, verse 39 and 40, it was at the end where Jesus had just uh, answered the question on marriage and, and, and heaven, that there would be no marriage in heaven. And... Uh, and it says that in verse 39, some of the teachers of the law responded, well said, teacher. And no one dared to ask him any more questions. There had been a battle between Jesus and the Pharisees now for three years. Two and a, yeah, three years. And there had been a battle between them asking him questions, trying to trap him, trying to challenge him, trying to come against him. And uh, each question was answered And at this point, they no longer dared to answer questions. And then he said to them something that was so profound that they could say nothing. He said this in verse 41. Then Jesus said to them, why is it said that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself declares in the book of Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. David called him Lord, how then can he be his son? And it was the most perplexing question because it pointed right to Jesus. And they wouldn't answer that question because they would not say that he is Messiah. And that, of course, is the greatest false religion in the world and so our main biblical story today, our main character of our biblical story today are the false Jewish religion, the people abusing the people of Israel for their own way. And why do I know that? Look at verse 45 through 47 with me. It says, so now he has this dialogue. They stop answering questions. He gives them the question of questions. Today, somebody has to come to the place of, of saying the Messiah is the Son of Man and the Son of God. He is God himself. If you don't, your life goes into not only a false living, but false religion. It is uh, chapter 20 uh, of Luke. It is 45 through 47, just before our passage. Listen to it. While all the people were listening, Jesus said to his disciples, so he turns away from... The Pharisees and the the teachers of the law, he looks at his disciples and he's teaching them. He said to his his disciples, beware of the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and love to be greeted with respect in the marketplace and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses, important statement there. And for a show, make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Okay? These are the words that Jesus says just before he sees the giving in the temple. So what is he, what is he saying? What is he saying? He's saying, first of all, this is how you pick out false teachers. First, they dress for success. That these these uh, religious leaders, Pharisees, they were instructed in Numbers 15, uh, 38 through 40, that they should, on their robes, they should have tassels on the bottom to continue to remind them of the commandments of God. And Jesus himself has tass- tassels. As we remember, the woman who was bleeding for 12 years just touched the fringe of his garment, this tassel. And yet, these men had made it longer and bigger because they wanted to be seen as successful. False teachers want to be dressed for success. They have flowing robes. They walked around with flowing robes. Second, they demanded respect by others. Love to be greeted with respect in the market. That, they, that the person who didn't do it could be imprisoned. It was that important that they'd be greeted with respect in the marketplace. Third, they demanded a place of honor. They would be seated. When they came into a thing, they would be seated in the front seat, in the most honorable place at the table. And they would demand that. They would demand that. In Luke 14, 7, Jesus teaches on this. He says, When you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, Friend, move up to a better place. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For those who will exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So they dressed for success, they demanded respect, they demanded a place of honor, and they demanded finances at the cost of others. The word devour here, they devour widows' houses. It is a word to eat up and consume. It is in complete opposition to the word of God. In Psalm 68, 5 says, a father to the fatherless and a defender of the widows, God is in his holy dwelling. This verse specifically is one that Jesus is thinking about in the next four verses. And then finally, they um, they pray decorative prayer for attention. Matthew 6, 5 says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray and stand in the synagogue and in the street corners to be seen by others. Then it ends with saying these men will be punished Most severely. The phrase in this original language is the greatest condemnation possible. It is the strongest warning from Scripture because God looks on anyone who has a form of godliness but denies its power as someone who is, listen to me, the most dangerous person in the world. Hear that. How do I know that? Because Scripture says this about them. That they're blind men. Mute dogs, ignorant, demented fools, reckless, treacherous men, ravenous wolves, blind guides, hypocrites, fools, whitewashed tombs, serpents, a brood of vipers, thieves and robbers, slaves of their own appetites, false apostles, servants of Satan, dogs, enemies of the cross of Christ, men of depraved minds and unreasonable animals. Yeah. Yeah. How do you like that list? It's crazy. But when you sit in here, it's dangerous because the call of the Spirit of God is to say is this real or is it false? In fact, the Bible, uh, Paul teaches about the judgment of this in Galatians one nine b when it says this: If anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be under God's curse. All this front, so that I, what I'm trying to do is put you behind the eyes of Jesus Christ. Okay, Jesus is sitting in the synagogue a place that supposedly raises God up to be seen. It was actually built in a way to display who God was so that people's eyes would be lifted up, that people would look up and see the amazing glory of God. In in this temple was a holy of holies. The very ark that accompanied the Israelites in the desert kept away from everyone because the holiness of God was so holy that it was kept separate because people would die. In fact, when a priest would go in, they would tie a rope to him. So if the priest accidentally died while he was in the once time a year uh, in the Holy of Holies, they could drag him out because anybody else that would walk in there would die. So is that how we view God? everything short of that is false religion it is the thing that people in our, in, in our world is struggling with because they say that the church believes in God and yet they see people living this their lives in opposition to the truth of God and they go "Well, which is it is it real are you all in Or is it protected and is it safe and is it civilized? It should never be. So, are you behind the eyes of Jesus? Do you see the falsity that's in front of you? And do you see this widow? Do you see her? Do you see her right now? This abused woman who's giving everything she lives on because she is trusting her leaders that if she gives it all, God will bless her. So what is Jesus thinking? First of all, notice that Jesus does respect her. He does respect her. He knows that she's being falsely led but I believe he respects her deep commitment to want to follow God with her life. I really believe that. Because he comments on it. He says, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Wow. But she didn't know the God. That she was given to. Second thing he noticed is that he, listen to this, listen to this. He notices the half-heartedness of the rich religious people. Commented on it, didn't he? All these people give their gifts out of their wealth. You know what that means? That they're fully provided for. And we're given just a little bit. And I believe that it reflects even he's going farther than just the finances. I think he's going to the life of the people and saying that is what false religious people live on. They they just give a little bit of themselves to Jesus. The rest is their life to do with what they will. How do I know a half-hearted person? Because I'm not opening my heart to God and to others. No, I'm not. I'm protecting myself. You you visitors here today, maybe it's your first time here, you're going to be challenged. We're we're, kind of different family. We're kind of different. We really push for openness. And we're willing to say the truth even in the midst of it. And so... Are you willing to open your heart up to God first and to others? You got to answer the question because you know what you're going to do? If you don't, you're going to leave. Some people say it's because I'm pushy. I don't think that's it. I think it's because the Holy Spirit's pushy. The Holy Spirit is trying to drive you to open up and to say, you've been hiding, you've been living A life that has been split between two truths. You cannot go between two shores. Either choose to serve God or choose not to. But choose this day whom you will serve, Jesus Christ. That's it. The other thing is that I think you can tell by a half-hearted person is that you look at life from a practical standpoint. This Jesus thing, great, but I must live. This Jesus thing, great, but I have to make a certain amount of money. This Jesus thing, great, but I must be fed. We can't get all crazy about this Jesus thing because, you know, I have a life to live outside of this. I had the privilege and honor to visit a church while I was being trained. It was called Fountain Street Church. Fountain Street Church had a practice of reading a portion of Scripture, ripping it out of the Bible, and throwing it and saying, we don't believe this. What? What? Yes. It has become a church that no longer serves God. It is a cultural-serving church. But do we rip out Matthew 6? Do we rip out the fact that God's calling us to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto us? Or is our life about I got to make sure I have enough money in the bank. I got to make sure I have it. You got to be practical about this Christian thing. Do you? Do you? Do I? Thirdly, so, so... First, notice that Jesus respects her. Second, notice that Jesus sees the half-heartedness of the rich and the wise. Thirdly, this is the most shocking to me. Notice that Jesus didn't stop her and tell her her faith was in the wrong God. For me, this is the most shocking part of the story as I look at it from this lens. He was watching her. He was watching the rich people. She, he saw that she was giving everything, listen, to live on. Did she walk away from there and die? Maybe. Think about that. Why didn't he? What came to my heart was reason to the unreasonable faith that marks true religion that changes the world. She had reduced religion to reason instead of the truth of faith going beyond reason to the unreasonable faith that marks true religion that changes the world. If you take religion and reduce it only to your own reason and you build the construct of what faith is around what what you have conceived it to be, you miss the whole point. It has to go above your reason. My ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts higher than yours. If it doesn't, it becomes a construct that you've developed. She reasoned that even though this false religion didn't satisfy her heart, longing, it was the safest way to get God to do what she wanted. When we put God in a box and make him out to be a God that we believe instead of what's taught in here, that's what we do. Now, I know that um, that this is damning assumptions. I get that, okay? And some of you are going, how can you make these assumptions? Listen to me. This is how I can. And it's true for every single one of us. First of all, what do we know from Scripture that God has already provided for her, you, and I? First, she is created in the image and likeness of God. Even though a broken image and likeness, it, real, it still reflects the reality of God. You cannot get away from the fact that God, the image of God, is reflected through your heart, through your mind, through your abilities, through your way to love and to be honest and to be real and to open your heart up and to be creative. All the things that show you that there's a God. You cannot deny it. You're not an animal as has been told to us by evolutionists. You're not. You're created in the image and the likeness of God, even though broken, it's there. Second of all, he has set creation before her as a picture of his heart. Life around her always reflected Jesus Christ as it does you. And she saw it. Third, he set eternity in her heart. And only God can fill it I don't care what you've been running after, what you've been believing, what you've been going after. There is a truth that is a truth that is a truth. You are not full without Jesus Christ. You never will be. There will always be an emptiness. Always be an emptiness. I was reading a book um, by Billy Graham this morning, part of my devotions, and it's um, How to Find Peace with God, and he uh, He flew out to the Cayman Islands and he met with a guy that was rich. I mean, he had his own jet, he had his own house on on the island, his own helicopter, and the man looked at him and said, I have all this, but I'm empty. All this, but I'm empty. And this guy was 75 years old. On the same island, he met a pastor who had just enough money to get through the next week. And he told Billy Graham, he says, I am the most fulfilled Man, and living a life that I just absolutely love. And I have peace, even in the hard times. And so, creating the image of God, set creation before him, has eternity in the heart, and he has set the truth in the world. Truth of his word that cannot be changed, truth of physical laws that cannot be changed, and truth of relationship that reflects the trinity. He has set truth in front of every single one of us. And fifth, Jesus was right in front of her. And she missed him. Jesus was right in front of her. Just like he is today. He's here. It's not Ryan and I. It's Jesus. He's in this place. He's the one that your heart was drawn to worship. He's the one that brought you here for the first time. He's the one that's been bringing you here for over a month. He's the one that's drawing you. Can you see him? Because what's developed outside of that is a false religion. We have to understand something that people don't get. In fact, we haven't gotten it for years. You cannot indoctrinate people into Christianity. You cannot teach people into the faith. A person can only be brought to the door of faith through teaching, and then they must be willing by the drawing of the Father to surrender and submit their lives to God through faith, a gift given to them in Jesus Christ. That is it. Absolutely, I'm going to keep preaching. Absolutely, I'm going to tell, tell people about Jesus. You know I am. But I also know that, and that's the hardest job of a pastor, is the fact that he can say all this, but you can sit in your seat and you can keep denying. You can keep pushing it down. You can keep living in a false religion of your life. And there's nothing I can do about it. Just like the woman sat in that thing giving everything she had and she had him right there. And she missed him. Because why? Because she wasn't led by teaching to him. She missed him. I appreciate the fact that my pastor friend, who I'm getting to know David's father, comes periodically. I love him. I just absolutely love you, brother. But what responsibility you and I have to teach the truth of the Word of God, to lead people to the doorway that leads to Christ. It is a huge responsibility. We can't teach them into heaven, but we have to teach them to the door so that they can either reject or respond. That's what you have today. And you know, if you've been in church for years, it does not matter. It's still the same thing. You're still being brought here to say, will I live all in for him? Can I be, this is the thing that Jesus respected about the widow. Would I be willing to give all for him because he's given all for me? All to him I owe. Amen? Yes! That's the point. One thing about being sixty-three years old is you look back, and you see two things. First of all, what an idiot you have been much of your life. It's true. It's just just true. Yeah. Okay. and, And Jay says I see that at my age too, but um, but the second thing is how faithful he's been. People of God, how faithful he's been. It is awesome how faithful he is. How faithful he is. So, and I will talk about that time. So, say, how did he do that? How did he do that? We spent so many hours fighting with each other, trying to go against him instead of with him, right? And it's just like. And yet he was so faithful to us. The actions of this widow were truthfully unreasonable because she was doing something wholeheartedly without knowing the true God. God wants you and I to live an unreasonable life of faith because we know the God who is unreasonable. That's what he wants. It's what changes the world. What do we know about this unreasonable God? First of all, he's unreasonable not to destroy every one of us for our rebellion. It says in the word over and over again that he's slow to anger and abounding in love. Anybody here want to witness the fact I'm glad he's slow to anger? Come on! he. I mean, I've got it in my mind. You know? <laughs> I mean, so many times, yeah, kill Wayne. Yeah, yeah, kill him. No, no, kill him. <laughs> yes, unreasonable. <sighs> I, I get that. What an unreasonable love that he he desires that none perish, but that all come to repentance, Amen. Second, it is an unreasonable God who gave up His own riches and glory. Second Corinthians eight nine says that for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that through His poverty you might become rich. Come on, people. Wow, yes, that is our God, unreasonable. Unreasonable. Fourth, third, excuse me. It's an unreasonable God who gave of himself for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes on him will not perish but have eternal life. That is an unreasonable God. Kyle deals with the fact that, uh, that as, he, as he walks down the street in, in, in between those who are poor and less fortunate and those who are rich, he hears often, you know, um, um, yeah, I'm not going to give to them because they don't act like they deserve it. Or they're not doing things in response to what I'm giving to them, and so I'm not going to give to them. That was you and me. But God demonstrates His love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Excuse me, when, when is this time? While, we, while we're what? Still sinners. Undeserving. Undeserved. It is a slap in God's face when you say to, to, to Him, I'm unworthy of your grace. Grace is for everybody else, but it's not for me. That is is pride. That's all that is. That's pride. And God says this, do not harden your heart. Today when you hear my voice, come to me. Bow down. Repent. Now. Do not harden your heart. It isn't about your worthiness. It's about the worthiness of Jesus Christ. And God sow your worthiness so much that he sent his own son to die for you. And you're saying, oh, I'm not worthy of that. That is just pride. That's just pride. And so he's unreasonable not to destroy. He's unreasonable giving up his own riches and glories. Not reason, he's unreasonable because he gave himself and he's unreasonable Because he chooses and pursues us. I don't get that. Do you get that? Do you get that? That he's pursuing you? That he's pursuing you? When you have slapped him in the face with your life, when you have rebelled against him with your sin, and yet he does not give up pursuing you because he has a plan and a purpose for your life, It's called amazing faithfulness. So how do we live an unreasonable life before God that becomes a true religion that changes the world? We've really got to get back to Erwin's daughter. Who has a vision here that they want to give everything away for Jesus Christ? No, no, no. Who has a vision here? who has come to a place in their life where they look at their life and they see what they have made out of it and they are believing this word that that's false religion and they, like the, like the widow, they want to put it all in with Jesus. Now she didn't put it all in with Jesus because he was right there. But he's right here right now. Anything less is false religion. People have got anything less is False religion. Are you willing to love others the way that God loved you? John Piper wrote a book, and in it he quotes uh, the Roman emperor Julian, who ruled during um, uh, 332 and 363 A.D. And he writes in his memoirs about this atheist religion. In fact, he writes it with frustration Listen to what he says. Atheism, i.e. the Christian faith, has been specially advanced through the loving service rendered to strangers and through their care for the burial of the dead. It is a scandal there is not a single Jew who is a beggar and that the godless Galileans care not only for their own poor, but for ours as well, while those who belong to us Look in vain for the help we should render them. Are you willing to love others and allow your life to be a gift in the name of Jesus Christ for others? Are you willing to become poor in spirit so that others might become rich? Live in humility before them. Serve them. Care for them. Be willing to talk to both as, as Romans 12 tells us that, that both the rich and poor should be the same in our mind. It should not matter even what, what race they're from. We should treat all mankind the same and even care for those who are less, have less than us. And are you willing to pursue the lost? It all starts with emptying your hands. Chuck Swindoll's book, there's a poem that he read. It says this. One by one, he took them from me, the things of this world. All the things I valued most until I was empty-handed. Every glittering toy was lost. And I walked earth's highway grieving in my rags and poverty till I heard his voice inviting me, lift your empty hands to me. So I turned my hands toward heaven and he filled them with a store of his own transcendent riches till they could contain no more. And at last I comprehended with my stupid mind and dull that God could not pour his riches into hands already full. There's a new call on the church of Jesus Christ today. And it is a call to break free from false religion, break free from half-heartedness, break free from serving the wrong gods, and to allow God to lift you up in the transcendence of his own love and mercy into true faith that turns around what's been given to us, to be given to others. It's the religion that'll change the world. And it starts with Jesus Christ. If today you do not know him as your Lord and Savior, today's a great day. Today is a great day to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Take the shroud of false religion off. Allow your heart to open up to him. Tell him things he already knows about you because he knows everything. He knows your thoughts in the dark. He knows the way that you treat each other. He knows your life exactly for as it is. Tell him and then receive him in your heart. And let him know your life is his now. To do whatever he wants to doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the future holds because you have come to a place where you know he holds your future. People of God, it's a religion that will change the world. There's too many widows giving their last to live on for what's false. It's time for us to stand up and to tell the truth of what's real. Amen? Amen. Stand with me as we pray. So I'll close our eyes, and uh, as we enter into this time of prayer, um, I'm just wondering if, if God has spoken to your heart about some of the half-heartedness, some of the emptiness, some of the life that you've been trying to live, proclaiming to be a Christian, but on the other side, really living as, as somebody who doesn't even know Jesus. And as we have our eyes down and, and closed, I'm just wondering if somebody would be brave enough to raise their hand up and say, that, that's been me. I, I, I've been living that way, kind of half-hearted, kind of in falsity. Thank you, brother. I don't want to live that way. said, so thank you, sister. Thank you, brother. I don't want to live that way anymore. I, I, I want to I live for you. Father in heaven, I, I just pray as we think about this widow, Lord, that, that there's a couple things that happen. First of all, that we take personal responsibility for her. As Father, we have to admit there's been times that our lives have not reflected the true God and has spoken that to other people. And I pray that, Father, that even today, the hands that have gone up, that, Father, that today is a day that in their heart they are saying, no, no more, no more, no more. Father, I pray that you'll bless the hearts of each one of us, that, Father, that truly you Come into each one of our lives. You want to change the world. Father, I pray for a, a sister that, this week that, that saw her own child go through a horrific event. And even in her own life, her life was focused directly on, on her child. And it changed a lot of things in her life, both geographically, but also in her heart as, as her heart went out to her daughter. Father, there are so many that are living under uh, the shroud of, of fakeness. They're, their hearts are fake. They're hiding their life. They're, they're, they're living their life in, in false religion, not really living at all, giving all that they have to something that's not real and dying in the midst of it. And Father, I pray that you will raise up inside of our hearts a renewed desire that the truth of Jesus Christ goes out, the one who was rich became poor so that we who were poor could become rich and that Father, he did not see equality with God something to be grasped, but he became nothing so that we could have everything. And so, Father, I pray that even in this room, that there will be hearts that will say, this is what I want to share in my life until the day I die. The everything of Jesus through the nothing of me so that they can see the everything that they can have in the blood of the one that was shed for them. Father, I just pray that you'll raise up people who want to change the world through Jesus Christ. And may we never get in the way of their dreams. Father, we love you. Thank you uh, for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the fact that you're here in this room. In the quiet of this moment, may our hearts continue to be drawn to you. And may this next song challenge us to commit to you in this week to be your true followers. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray.